Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, it's Jalil. Now I want to tell you about my new favorite plant-based protein bar. It's Loopy. L-U-P-I-I, two eyes. Made from the lupini bean, which has three times the protein of eggs, two times the protein of chickpeas, and three times more fiber than oats. Loopy bars are protein-rich, vegan, sustainable, plant-based fuel that will keep you running like a boss all day. Now, for me, I use these as a post-workout pick-me-up because I just I need that at my age, you know what I'm saying? A little something to get me going. Makes the perfect snack. These nutty, fruity bars will fill you up and keep you going all day. Vegan, non-GMO, gluten-free, no sugar added. That part is important because I'm addicted to sugar. Kosher, and would you believe me if I told you that they really do taste great? I'm serious. Loopy bars come in four delicious flavors. Peanut butter cacao, uh, almond butter cinnamon raisin, that's my favorite, tahini lemon cranberry, and new cashew ginger pumpkin seed. I'm gonna have to jump on that because I feel these holidays coming around. I prefer the almond butter myself, though. The almond butter cinnamon is my joint. Right now, Loopy is offering 20% off your first online order at Get Loopy. That's two eyes. GetLoopy.com. Use the code EVER at checkout to get free shipping on all orders. That's Loopy. L-U-P-I-I. Two eyes. Visit GetLoopy.com slash EVER. Don't forget those slashes because you want your discount. Hey, folks. Jaleel here. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community where millions come together to take the next step in their creative journey with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people on topics including illustration, design, photography, video, freelancing, and more. Now, when I learned about Skillshare, I knew I had to use it to step up my photography game. My girlfriend was always telling me that she hates my photos that I take of her on her iPhone. This is A huge conundrum for boyfriends everywhere. But I use Skillshare to learn a bit about photography, and now I'm the only one that can take her pictures. Skillshare offers membership and meaning. With so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com forward slash ever. And the first 1,000 people to use our link will get a free trial of Skillshare premium membership. That's Skillshare.com forward slash ever. That's what we were outfitted in. I also wore Nikes on Blossom. Like it was a thing. It was like product placement. But to come from a house where like the toilet never worked, the floors constantly gave us splinters. We didn't even have air and heating. And I was sent to this Nike store and I was like, you're giving me what? Like I wore hand-me-downs. I did not wear new sneakers. Like it was crazy. Stereotypes about child stars and their longevity in Hollywood are well known. Contrary to popular belief, there are a great many more child actors who beat the odds and continue to thrive. I'm Jaleel White, and this is Ever After. All right, my guest today attended UCLA just like me. She graduated with a BS in neuroscience, but in 2007, she earned a PhD in neuroscience. Long before that, She landed on Hollywood's radar playing young Bette Midler in the movie Beaches in 1988. That led to reoccurring role on Webster and more shows from Facts of Life to Doogie Howser to Empty Nest. She eventually went on to play the title role of NBC's Blossom. And after her illustrious collegiate career, she joined the cast of CBS's Big Bang Theory as Amy Fowler to Jim Parsons' Sheldon Cooper. 
She has authored three books on parenting, vegan life, and struggles growing up a girl. Can't wait to get into those. I know her to be a huge basketball fan. Please welcome Miss Mayim Bialik. Hello. <laughs> That was like a fun intro? introduction. You know, you that like was that? actually that was actually the most accurate and pleasant intro I've ever heard. Because people often read like things that are completely not relevant or important, but like you know all the things to say. So yeah, that was great. I take a lot of pride in my intro. You know what I'm saying? I know <laughs> what we like. <laughs> um, I would always run into you at the Hollywood Christmas Parade and uh, an NBA All Star Game. Mm-hmm. And most people just have no idea what a big hoops fan you are. I'm a very large basketball fan. And, you know, my my parents are New Yorkers. So I was a Knicks fan and have been a Knicks fan really my whole life. Like, that's who I rooted for. But I was very, very into basketball, honestly, largely influenced uh, by, by Spike Lee, who was my favorite director um, at that time in my life, and really took an interest in his affiliation, honestly, with basketball, with Nike. Like, it was like a whole part of our culture. Um, and you didn't play? I mean, like, I was very athletic. I was always very athletic. And I did love playing basketball. But the opportunity that we had to go to the NBA All-Star Games and oh be gosh. part of that whole weekend. And, like, boys to men were hanging out there. Like, it was... Oh, my gosh. It was, it was literally... It was Will Smith when we called him Fresh Prince. Like, we didn't yep. call him Will Smith. And so, yep. just, like, that level of, like, hobnobbing with, like, being in the elevator with, like, Carl Malone and, like, seeing Shaq. Like, it was crazy. And it was awesome. Were you at the Utah All-Star Game? I was. I was at Utah. I was at Charlotte. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, we were at uh, probably th- we had to be at three together. I was interviewed next to Michael Jordan. Right. At like the <laughs> States. The, what is it? Like the stay in school special we used to yeah, do? The, stay, the stay in school jam. The stay in school jam. <laughs> That's right. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, and the Utah one was one of my favorite All-Star uh, weekends because I went snowmobiling at Deer Valley with Boys to Men. Okay, and, that's awesome. I did and, not do that. That's not on my and resume. It was just, it was, but it was so random and organic. It was just like us in the lobby, and it was like, "Yo, who wants to go snowmobile?" And it was like, "Ooh, I uh, want to go." Why didn't you bring me? What? Why? It was whoever. It was whoever was in the lobby, baby. Yes, I was, was not. not I was in the lobby at the wrong time. <laughs> and those lobbies were just magical because literally, it was just crazy. passing through them. And also, it was like everybody. You know, well, and I think also like you and I lived in front of the camera at a time when there was no social media and we didn't even have personal computers at that time. We didn't have cell no. phones. Like no. we could literally hang out in a lobby. Like security was different. Like everybody was just hanging out. It was a very different time, even though it wasn't yes. that long ago. And even then I have to say, even as the Fresh Prince, Will was still somehow the biggest star in the room. Oh, I mean, he lights up a, like he's literally he's got a million right? dollar personality. Like you, he makes you feel like a million dollars. He looks like a million dollars. <laughs> he he absolutely. I mean, he lights up a room. He really did. It's it's amazing. And I like to comment on that, though, because, you know, with with Instagram and social media, you know, people can be big deals because they have a number beside their name. But there's still this thing called an it factor where yeah. somebody just enters a room and it's just like, yo, yep. That guy or that girl is in this room and the energy has been affected. And Will was that dude for all of us for all those all-star games. Absolutely. So you're going to love this story, though. Um, I actually saw your movie Beaches when I was a kid because I went to the movies all the time. That That was my pastime as a kid, playing basketball and going to the movies. And my mom picked me up from school and I had gotten in trouble. I got in big trouble. And your and punishment was to see a Bette Midler movie? <laughs> <laughs> you see where I'm going with this, right? So she had planned to go take me to the movies randomly. I don't know what she was going through either, but we go to the movies and my mom would notoriously sneak in food in this like giant purse and whatnot. And, um, and she was just so annoyed with my behavior and everything that... Um, I think, yeah, she wouldn't even, she was even janky with the food. She wouldn't even share her food. with My mom was like, uh, she, she was, yeah, she was just like, you don't even deserve food. You just sit here right now, right? And she took me to see Beaches eating Panda Express that she had sneaked into the movie theater. And I'm sitting there watching me, watching you 
and 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 Barbara Hershey and Bette Midler at a matinee, just thinking I'm the worst kid in the world. And it was and such a dreary story. Ther- that's how you ended up in therapy. Like that's the <laughs> story was, to tell. But it was just, I was just, it's a weird story. It's just like, wow. Like I was sitting in a movie theater alone with my mom watching this very not my demographic movie. <laughs> and, 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 and you were a huge part of it. And so it was just like, that's the moment that I remember you. And then everything I would see in you after it would be Webster after that. I would be like, Hey, that's the girl from the beaches thing. Um, <laughs> And and, uh, and people forget how big of a star Emmanuel Lewis was. Oh, like, they enorm- really I mean, he was do. an enormous star. Yeah. Like you have to talk about that for he, me because I want, he I want was people to also remember. Like, so, yeah. Okay. So actually my episodes of Webster were before Beaches. Okay. Um, yeah. But I mean, like it was all at the same ish time. It felt like and it the, was the same time though. Was, yeah. So the, the Beaches audition process took four months so in okay. that time, I was still doing Webster and things like that. Okay. I right, did I'm not eight, crazy. <laughs> yeah, I did eight episodes of Webster, and I actually played a character extremely similar to Amy Farrah Fowler. No joke. She was this, like, uptight, kind of, like, church lady, like, glasses-wearing, you know, really awful sense of fashion kind of character. But Webster at that time was an incredibly popular show. <laughs> like... The the stories of like, I mean, it's a bizarre idea for a show. And he's like in that like dumbwaiter thing at the beginning. And like, he was a very, very skilled actor. He was a very, very kind person. And yeah. also was much older than he was playing, which most people knew. But instead of that being like a source of ridicule, like it was actually an unbelievable opportunity, like for me to work with him because he was this incredibly intelligent, classy, like, well put together businessman. And I actually ended up the tutor that tutored him, I think in physics, when he was finishing high school and into college, um, ended up being my chemistry tutor and my physics tutor when I was on Blossom. Um, So like I met some amazing people through him. Um, I had gumbo for the first time with Emmanuel uh, (laughs) in his dressing room. I like for, I think it was his birthday or something. And we had like a party in his in his dressing room. Um, and also he was like friends with Michael Jackson. Like this was a time in history yes. when like that happened. <laughs> that happened. Yes. And Emmanuel Lewis can legitimately say, I was friends with Michael Jackson. You get people oh, yeah. who say that crap, but Emmanuel Lewis can really say No, it. like for real. That Like it, it was such a bizarre and fascinating time in history. Like people, it was, you know, it was, People told me later that like everyone on our crew was drunk, which I didn't know on Webster, the whole crew was drunk, (laughs) but like it was a time in the industry when that happened, you know, everybody would like go to lunch, have cocktails and come back. It was very strange, but I was just a kid. I didn't know what was going on. (laughs) That is so awesome. Who were your favorite uh, kid actors back then? Um, I mean, I grew up watching, you know, I'm, let's see, I was born in 75. So I grew up on like- yeah. So I grew up on like three's company and, um, oh. you know, and like too close for comfort, but I also grew up, I was a huge what's happening fan. Not yes. what's happening now. What's yes. happening. That was the first one. Um, I did watch like the red Fox show. I don't know why I like watched the Jeffersons. I loved, I mean, two, two, seven was like, that was my jam. And Regina King, I wanted to be her best friend so bad when she worked on the big bang theory. I completely said to her, I'm going to be super honest with you. This is a dream for me because I wanted to be your friend since two, two, seven, but I did. I watched you obviously. Um, that was my Friday night date. Um, I did not have an active social life. I watched a lot of television and I watched Silver Spoons. That's, you know, where I first saw Alfonso. Um, and I watched Growing Pains, you know, all those family ties, yep. like name a sitcom. It's like, I'm amazed I even went to school with how much television it seems like I watched. Okay. So, you know what I'm discovering though? I'm discovering, I feel like that was your training. Because I feel like it was mine. I watched everything that you watch. No, seriously, I have the ability that if I watch something enough, um, I can mimic. You know what right. I'm saying? So it's like if, if, if you start yeah. watching certain performances that right. you really enjoy, some people just watch and they're kind of like mindless about it. And I think you and I might watch 
film right. and really our brain is actually studying, absorbing, sponging. And it's but like, I wanted to be that. on what's happening now. And they weren't, I was, <laughs> I was against type. They were like, no, no you don't get to be in what's happening now. Um, no, I, I think, I think part of that is right. I mean, look, uh, m- many of us grew up watching those things and m- many don't become actors, but um, you know, I think, you know, I think you sell yourself a little bit short. I think you have a specific talent also uh, for mimicry. And I think that, you know, the, the iconic aspects of what you captured um, it was, it was a conglomeration of a lot of things that worked really well together because any oh, yeah. one of the fe- any one of the features of the character that you, you know, essentially became known for, right. Any one of those features wouldn't have been enough. It's when you put them all together, um, your body language, your voice, like all those things that made you so iconic. Um, I, I love yeah. that we're living in an age where we can, we can like acknowledge this hodgepodgery because nobody <laughs> would look at you and realize just how much of black television culture you have even absorbed. Like Absolutely. everything you named is, is so dope. And nobody yeah. really realizes that. I was basically a black kid that was doing a horrible Ed Grimley and and Pee Wee Herman impersonation. And then every now and then I did something soulful. So it it made it me. But that's that's what it was. Yeah. Honest to God, those are my inspirations. No, but I think like and honestly, like, you know, not to go too heavy, too deep, but I think we can, you know, like for me. Family Matters was besides the Cosby show, you know, which was a really, really important show in my childhood. Family Matters really appealed to me because it was what I imagined black people can be like, meaning it's not like it was like a a full like family. And I was like, why didn't this exist before? Why did I grow up only seeing with the exception of the Cosby show? Like it's only white people, really, in situation comedies like that. And I grew up in Los Angeles where I was one of the only white children in all of my classes. Everybody was black, Latino, Korean. Like I grew up and my parents are New Yorkers. Like, like, so to me, I was like, why doesn't television look like my world? So when Family Matters came out, I was like, finally, like this exists is not an anomaly. It's not like this weird thing. Um, And obviously like your character, I mean, you carried so much of that show. Um, And, you know, we would see each other also at like teen magazine things from time to time. And I remember at the time, not worrying about you, but caring very deeply about what happened to you because I knew that that was a character that you played. And I worried that we get typecast when we play characters like that. And I really like, I knew that you were a nice person. I enjoyed talking to you. And like, I just, I don't know. I just like, that's a special connection because it wasn't just that you were famous. You were famous for a very, very specific thing very specific. And it makes me so happy that you got to grow out of that. You know, you became, you know, this like super handsome young man and grown, oh, like, oh, you know, you no, but like down, you grew, but I'm saying you, you grew out of that, like all that stereotypical, like stuff that you were known for, you know, you became a person. So anyway. Oh my gosh. I'm blushing. You're not supposed to make black men blush. I can't do that. Can we stop the, can we stop the zoom? Can we, can we stop it? <laughs> um, uh, tell me your audition process for Blossom, because uh, Melissa Joan Hart was just on and she told me that she auditioned for Blossom. Was there ever a role that you came damn close to getting that nobody would know that you were up for? Um, so what what happened was I didn't audition for Blossom per se. I know they auditioned other people, but um, I was brought in after Beaches. Um, okay. so I was brought in after beaches to do a series first for Fox called Malloy. Jennifer, Ooh, Aniston, I remember that. Jennifer Aniston played my sister and it was arguably possibly the worst show on television. And, um, there was an executive at Fox named David Himmelfarb and he had just transferred to a company called Wit Thomas Harris and Wit Thomas yep. Harris is golden girls, empty nest soap. I mean, yeah, that nurses, all that stuff. Um, and David Himmelfarb said to the folks at Witt Thomas Harris, Paul Witt and Tony Thomas, Paul Witt, who passed away um, just a year or so ago, um, he said, that girl from, from Beaches is on this show at Fox and it's terrible. Let's bring her over here. And um, they brought me over. Don Rio wrote 
you know, created Blossom with me in mind is what I was told. Um, so I never auditioned, but they did audition other people because I did have to test at network, even though right. the part had been written for me. So I don't remember ever seeing anybody else. And the fact is, you know how that stuff is. Like when they've got a show, they put out a casting net. Right. Um, but um, with all due respect to uh, Melissa, I'm pretty sure I had had the part um, from, from the I like time that. That's, that's the Michael Jordan in you coming out now. <laughs> Last dance, oh, Gary, Melissa. Oh, Last Gary dance. Payne thought he was Gary Payne thought he was a problem for me, huh? That's right. Um, no, but I'm just saying that like there was an audition process, but I was not like I wasn't you know part of that part of it. Um, uh, the first interview I ever went on was to play DJ on Full House, um, which ah. obviously I was not prepared. It was my absolute first audition. I rushed through it. I was 11 and a half years old. I had never auditioned for anything before. Um, but it wasn't like a part that like, Ooh, I really wanted it. Um, I think that Sarah Gilbert has a story that she tells about wanting a part that I got that she was really like held onto for a long time. And we've talked about it a couple of times. Um, I don't know. I, I also, I don't know if you have this feeling, like, I also feel like everything happened exactly the way that it was supposed to. Like Absolutely. every, like every rejection, every, everything. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I don't even think Melissa said it in that, <laughs> in that way. Um, but I do love your Michael Jordan though. I do love that though. She, 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 that bitch can't guard me. I do love, <laughs> I love that. I love, but, um, but it was just that, you know, again, we've, you know, I was, I almost was, uh, the role of Rudy in the Cosby show mm. and, uh, Rudy was written for a boy initially. And and Bill fought for wow. Um, you know, Bill fought for the family to mirror his exact um, his exact family, and that changed the trajectory of my life. I would have I would have headed to New York, and it literally came down to me and Keisha. So it's um, wow, know, they're just fun wow, stories. Wow. Yeah, they're just fun stories to share um, because I think they help people who listen to us understand. Don't fret losing something to somebody else because it wasn't for you to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I think that's just the the, the life lesson right there. Sure. Um, but so you're a New Yorker, though. So that's why you're so comfortable around minorities and Puerto Ricans and blacks and everybody. I was and, and, so I was born. I was born in San Diego. My mother was nine months pregnant when they moved from New York. And my parents raised me like a proper New Yorker. Like they raised me like all New York teams. They corrected the way I pronounced things. If I sounded like a West Coaster. But yes, <laughs> I grew up. I grew up where like every Latino person that my parents interacted with was Puerto Rican. And like, it took like, it took a good number of years on the West coast for me to be like, my, we don't have Puerto Ricans here. They're actually from other places. <laughs> like, like we're nowhere near Puerto Rico. We're not there. Your mom was in LA and she still thought she was around Puerto oh, Rican. please. My parent, my, my dad's like sounds and look like Al Pacino. Like my parents are so New York. So I just became this like weird transplant and I never really fit in with LA people. I just didn't like, we were New Yorkers, like, and I was raised, you know, Yankees, Knicks, like all New York. And that's like my city. When I go to New York, like I'm at home there. I just think that's what makes you cool though is, I mean, I can attest, you never tried to fit in. You never no. tried, like, like <laughs> no, you, I, gave up, <laughs> I gave up very early. <laughs> that's why you didn't get invited to the, to the uh, snowmobiling <laughs> with boys to men. Did you wasn't trying to fit in though, by You I weren't trying. It. <laughs> I knew <I'm> it. <laughs> you were passing us. You were throwing up the deuces, That's but right. you were not trying to kick it. <laughs> I knew every Boys to Men song, and I wore Jordans, but nobody was inviting me snowmobiling. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. I love this, you guys. When I was a kid, my mom would never let me have sugary cereals. All the stuff with tigers on them and dragons and chocolate-looking Dracula people. I was never allowed to touch any of those cereals as a kid. Now I'm a grown man real grown man, and I need to watch my waistline, but I still like sugary cereals. So guess what we have now? We have Magic Spoon. All the flavor and none of the junk. Zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. Come on, four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. I'm partial to blueberry and frosted. Those are my favorites. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash ever to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use the promo code ever at checkout to get that free shipping. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it, they will refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash ever and use the code ever for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. 
Have you ever seen the pictures of us online? Because people marvel over our shoes back then. They just marvel over our shoes. Like there are so many pictures of the shoes Mayim Bialik wore as a teenager that people still want today. Creepy, creepy. It was was also, it was the early days of what now is called swag, where Nike in particular would reach out to us because, oh, here we go. This is huge to talk about this. But Tracy, they, your girl? Tracy, Tracy, she was unbelievable. <laughs> Everybody loved. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, okay, hold, I, on, hold on. Let me stop you. Let me stop you. Let me stop you. I want you to explain to people. Oh, we have it. to put this in context, okay? So that just okay. start and just add my... Okay. People so don't understand story. what Nike was to no. kids and people on television Correct. in the 90s. Break it down so, for them. It's like a whole thing. It's like a super duper whole thing. So... <laughs> There was this lady (laughs) and her name was Tracy. She was this lovely Tracy Hardy. And she was the loveliest like blonde hair. She looked like a former model. She's like a, like an athletic model, you know, like she was in great shape and always in like the finest Nike couture. And back then, like having a pair of Jordans, it was an enormous status symbol. They were quite expensive Um, It was a very big deal to wear that kind of apparel. And literally, Spike Lee kind of put this whole new kind of audience on really basketball gear as everyday gear. And Tracy would, you, you would get a contact if you were on a TV show, and you would go to the Nike facility, which was in like a business park complex. I had never been to one of those. And it was in Culver City. Oh, it was like Culver City. Right. (laughs) It was like, it was in a crazy part of town where you don't go unless you're going to the Nike place, place. And they would send you home with goodies that presumably you would then wear. We didn't have Instagram. We couldn't post it anywhere. We just wore it in our lives. And when we went to the NBA all-star games and like, that's what we were outfitted in. I also wore Nikes on Blossom. Like it was a thing. It was like product placement. But yes. thing that I will tell you is I did not grow up with money. I grew up in a rented house with one bathroom for four people until I was 15 <laughs> years old. And my brother was 19. One bathroom for four people. Now I know people have it a lot worse than that. I'm not saying I had it the worst, but to come, from a, but to, <laughs> to come from a house where like the toilet never worked. The floors constantly gave us splinters. We didn't even have air and heating. And that's a problem. I was that's sent to this Nike store and I was like, you're giving me what? Like I wore hand-me-downs. I did not wear new sneakers. Like it was crazy. And nobody knew that about me. I mean, I'm hoping that I, I, I hid it as well as I needed to, but looking back, I was freaked out. My grandparents were immigrants. I'm like, you're giving me shoes? This is nuts. <laughs> I love that. I love that story because literally I'm hanging on to every detail because I live the exact same thing. It was a it was a friend on um on Family Matters. He was actually a cast member. His name was Bumper Robinson. You might have crossed paths know, with him at some point. Oh, come on. Okay. Wait. Right? Wait. Right? I was on Webster with Bumper. And okay, his, right. like, I knew his whole family. Huge right. crush on Bumper. Huge right. crush on Bumper. Every girl loved Bumper. Every girl loved Bumper, right? So, um, so Bumper was, Bumper's parents were like, when, when I started taking off on the show, they were just talking to my mom. And it was like, oh, you know, you should, you know, you should definitely take Jalil down to the Nike, to the Nike space and meet the Nike lady. And it was like, okay. And so, you know, he hooked it up so that we got an introduction. And I remember I went down there and I'm in awe just like you, because again, at that age, Jordans are life. They are life, right? So I have a business card. I'm going with my mom to this place in Marina Del Rey. And you know what? You might be right. It might have been Culver City and they moved it was to Culver City. It was, right off, it was right off La Cienega, the original yeah. one. It was on Slauson. It was on yes. Slauson. It was like in the hood. It was you got in me. the hood. You got me. You fact checked me. You got me, baby. You got me, right? So so we, we pulled up and it's like, you have this business card. You walk into this place to reception. They offer you water. And it's like, you're supposed to sit here. And apparently this lady's just supposed to hand you Jordans and you don't pay for them. That was the deal, right? So it was like, this is 1991. So 90. Um, so I'm like, she comes out. This is the first time she comes out. 
And she's like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. You know, I've heard that you've been making a lot of people laugh on TV. Here's a box. Here's a box of shoes and a T-shirt. And just, wow, you know, stay in contact with us. Great. And it was like, okay. And I walked out with my pair of shoes and my T-shirt. And it was like, well, that was cool, I guess. Cool. Less than like two weeks later, wardrobe is calling me because they're like, uh, Jaleel, there's a huge box here for you from Nike. And that's when you, that's when it begins. That's when you're on the tit. I thought I had a Nike contract. They sent me so many shoes. And I thought so I was clothes. Michael Jordan. I but thought it, I was Michael Jordan. I, I, I'm serious about with people. When Reebok even reached out to me to try to outfit me, I was like, oh no. Oh my gosh, I'll get in trouble for talking to Reebok. I can't talk to those people. I can't, I, I can't even it have was them like, around it was, on the set. Tracy was like, she was the Nike gangster. She was literally she the was Nike, Nike gangster. She was a Nike thug. And then I, when I had to find out that Seinfeld and his entire writing staff had their own Nike store that she would supply next to their writer's room. That's I was obscene. almost like- We shouldn't talk about that. That's obscene. It was, no, seriously, like my, as much as she gave us, I'm going to break your heart right now. Apparently she could have given us so much more. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the Schindler's list. She could have done more. She could have have saved one more foot from not having a Jordan on it. Okay, enough, enough. This is turning into a Nike commercial at this point. This is ridiculous. You know what? Tracy, bring it on. (laughs) Tracy, you owe us. Tracy, pay us. Pay us like you owe us for all the years that you owe us. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, I love Tracy Hardy. Tracy Hardy Gray. All right. I love Tracy Hardy Gray now. Um, Who was your manager back then? Your mom or your dad? Because it sounds like you wanted to be in the business. Yeah. So I, well, I mean, I want. I didn't know what I meant when I said, I think I should be an actor because I liked being in school plays. I was not like a hammy, like get me in the industry kind of kid. I was really, I excelled in school plays in elementary school. And I was like, I hear that there's kids who are actors. I think I should do that. This is really like, I like auditioning for the teacher. It doesn't stress me out the way it stresses the other kids out. Um, Little did I know that... I did not look like what children looked like. Like, I thought I was just like, I looked like myself. No, the look back then that they wanted for commercials, and you will remember this, think of it, it's 1986. It was called All American. And what it meant was white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. They wanted blonde kids with blue eyes and small features. And you remember what I looked like. I was blonde and I had blue eyes. I did not have small features and I still don't. (laughs) And here I was like going to these auditions and I was like, I don't look like anyone. And no one looks like me. This is not going to work. So I did not get commercials. And people who are listening to this, like they can't imagine that there was a time when we wa- when we grew up and we watched television and everyone was white in every single commercial. It was as yep. if there were no black people. <clears throat> it was as if there were no Latino people. <clears throat> there, it was as <clears throat> if there were no Asian people. Like everyone was white. And yes, I have white privilege, but as a Eastern European Jew, who's only 2% of the U S population, the features that I have often do not exist when I look at white people on television. So I started getting character roles. That's when shows like Webster were like, Oh, this kid's quirky. This is kind of fun. We can work with her. Um, but I did not have luck in any traditional ways in the industry, but my agent was Bo shoot. And Bo was the agent for Neil Patrick Harris, Johnny Galecki, Mario Lopez, Mm. Stephen Dorff. And we were all with this one woman who had a very specific eye for kids who were actors. And we were all with her. Yes, Iris was the other one. So they, they... Those kind of, I mean, those particular, those, those women had a very specific eye and I was... You know, I was at an agency that had Doogie House. I mean, like it was a big deal. Stephen Dorff, you remember Stephen Dorff? Oh, yeah. Like that was a yeah. whole trip. Um, and Mario Lopez and Johnny Galecki, who was on yeah. Blossom, and obviously yeah. I ended up working with on um, on the Big Bang Theory. But yeah, oh, no, it's no, crazy. Yeah. yeah. So that I mean, my my parents technically were my managers in that they handled kind of everything else. They, you know, my mom drove me around. My my parents were both school teachers. 
Um, but my mom had stopped her job at the time. She was running the nursery school at the synagogue I grew up at. So she drove me to auditions. She was with me on set. You know, she protected me and made sure that I, you know, got breaks when I was supposed to and got to pee when I needed to. Um, you know, I think that was a really big, um, you know, a really big thing to be concerned about. You know, a lot of kids our age in the industry weren't always cared for that way. Do you feel like my mom was extremely strict? Like my mm-hmm. my curfew followed my shoe size. Yeah. And um, I don't even think she did that intentionally. I just realized it as an adult that my curfew actually did follow <laughs> my shoe size. When I became a size 10, it was it was it was 10 o'clock, 11, yeah. it was 11 o'clock and, and so so forth and so forth. Um, but I felt like. I felt like there were very few kids whose parents were extremely guarded of what we did. Mine were you very strict. Uh, Joey Lawrence's My- parents were very strict. I mean, I, you know, I, I think I, I'm very hesitant. I'm sure you get this question all the time. Like, how is it that you stay? Better? Um, yeah, you know, I get it all the time. And I, I'm very hesitant to be like, well, you know, my parents are first generation Americans and they had a very strong work ethic, you know, because like I'm very hesitant to say things like that because I don't think there's a formula. I think that, you know, you and I know you and I knew probably the same group of people who did not survive mm-hmm. um, through our years. And Jonathan Brandis was one. And, you know, Corey was another, um, you know, um, the the things that plague people that make them turn to drugs and alcohol, you know, are very, very complicated and it's not so simple as the industry made them do it or they were weak or they were morally deficient. You know, it's so much more complicated. It's an issue of mental health, you know? And for me, I know that having strict parents worked for me because I was an obedient child. And, you know, there's many ways that children become obedient. And when my parents said, you don't go out, I didn't go out. When they said, you know, do your homework, I did my homework. Like that was just my personality when they said, you may be star of your own TV show, take out the trash. Like I took out the trash, you know? Um, so for me that worked and, and you're right. I, I didn't go to parties. I didn't have all those fun experiences. I hung out with Steven Dorff a little bit and I was like, I'm exhausted. Like it's my bedtime, you know, like I can't, like, I want to go home. I'm so tired. Steven will um, do that to you. <laughs> exactly. So, and you know, and there were people who gravitated towards different, you know, aspects of our industry, but also, Every other teenager does too. It's not just in the industry that you have those pressures of like partying and drinking and drugs. I mean, I'm really grateful that the Blossom set was completely clean. I never saw drugs. I never saw anyone drinking. And I know that for kids, you know, Drew Barrymore talks about this. She grew up in a real adult atmosphere on sets when she was so little. Like, I'm grateful that, you know, it was a very clean set that I grew up on. Um, And I don't know what your experience was with that, but... I just, I didn't see that stuff. And my parents were just, they kept me really square, you know? So my, my mom smelled weed coming from the upstairs area of our dressing room, apartment city on the set. And she snatched me up faster than fast and was like, you're not allowed upstairs. I don't care whose dressing room is upstairs. You're not allowed upstairs. Mm. And again, I've never heard anybody put it as succinctly as you just did. Right. I I was, for the most part, an obedient child. Mm-hmm. When my mom would say something like that, it was just kind of like, damn, that's inconvenient. <laughs> you know, it, there was nothing in my mind that said, I must now venture upstairs. <laughs> like, there Correct. was nothing in my mind. And, and, and a lot of that is like, that's, that's genetics. It's the way we're yeah. born. It's the way we're yeah. conditioned. It's however our parents made us fear them. Like, that's just yeah. who we are, you know? Yeah, it just, it's uh, definitely who we are. And speaking of that, I feel like we were the last generation of child performers that felt a generational pressure to attend college. <laughs> it's super true. It's super right? true. I mean, it's funny because, you know, for me as a second generation American, like you go to college, like it doesn't even matter if you're yeah, your own, it, on your own TV show. It's just like, that was the ethic that I was raised with. Like you go to college. Right. And you know, especially coming from a family where my grandparents never finished middle school, like, you know, you go to college, like you, you take whatever opportunity, but 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. That was a time when people were like, it's good to have a college degree. Nobody was like, how about if you come up with a crazy idea that you have zero experience in and you get someone to give you like $8 million to have other people make that idea and then you're a millionaire by the time you're 12. Like no one thought that way. We were told, go to college. The more degree, the better. You'll get a better job. You'll be better positioned, blah, blah, blah. And for me, I bought into it and I loved academia. Um, Hell yeah, you did. You got a freaking PhD. But I also had two, I had two kids in grad school, you know, like that's the thing. Like it was the place where my life started. And, you know, for women, it's very different as to like, do we stop our career to have a bit like, it was actually a perfect time for me, you know, to become a mom. I had my first at 29 and my second at, you know, 32. So yeah. And then I returned to acting when he was a baby, you know? Wow. Wow. I, I talk about that all the time because here you are making millions of dollars and at least in our generation, were you making parents? Nobody was making the kind of money they make now though. No, they, no, that's okay. That's not, are we going to get into the shit? No, no. (laughs) So, well, what I'm going to say, what I will say, and I think this is important before we get on to your next point that like Ted Danson was the highest paid actor. I believe when I was on blossom, I believe that he made something like $500,000 a week. Yes. It was insane. And it was like, that should be illegal. It is right. such an obscene. I remember that number. Right. So obscene. And I remember that number. And I think what's important for people to realize is and every situation was different. I did not have the kind of financial success that would have set me up for the rest of my life. Also, our show was never put into syndication. And th- oh snap. Yeah. Our show was never put into syndication. So wait a minute. I don't like getting into people's business, but you didn't make six figures playing Bossom? No. Holy crap. Are you kidding me? I would have never guessed that in a million years. Yeah. So welcome. That's a bigger crime. Yeah. So (laughs) welcome to, I mean, my, you know, my contract also started in, I believe, 1989. Um, lot of different rules. And I will say that being a female was very different then. Absolutely. Oh, we're going to get into it now, girl. Hold on. We're yeah. gonna get into it. Because people don't discuss the invisible pay scale of Hollywood. So when you yeah, have brought and, up the 450, right. half a million dollars that Ted, Ted Dancer would make a week. Oh, it was, it it was, was unbelievable. In, right. It yeah. was ingrained in me, even as a young black guy, Hey, sure. that is a middle-aged white man. And so mm. that is what he is allowed mm. to get. Don't you dare even think about asking for anything close sure. to that, even though you share his yeah. popularity and your show will syndicate the same way. No. Don't you dare. And, my, and, my, and our show, Blossom, went five years. They never syndicated us. No one has ever explained. No one has ever explained why. Our show was released by Shout Factory on DVD only the first two seasons. We are the only show that has not been rebooted. Or even like I've gotten nothing but pushback. I know this is a huge scoop. Like, and I'm not here to scoop anything. We just talking. It's very strange. And we we were a Disney show, and there's a lot of complexity. Disney can be persnickety about things. We had a lot of musical guests, as you know. We had CNC Music Factory. We had Salt and Peppa. We had you know Will on. Um, there there we had BB King on. I mean, there possibly is a lot of issues with rights. Don Rio and I like we've stopped like. We've stopped being secretive about the fact that we don't understand. We were a top 25 show. We were not a number one show. We were a top 25 show. We were, we premiered after the Cosby show and we were on after Fresh Prince. We were the second highest rated show among black viewers in the country. And I watched you, baby. <laughs> it's like, it's like we disappeared. It's very, very strange. And I, and of course, like I sit in therapy and think about it, but, um, but I did want to interrupt you for that reason, because you're right, though. I left a lot of financial potential to continue earning to leave the industry. That's absolutely right. true. But the notion that I was set for life, that is not true. That was not my story. Um, and also, like, I never liked to talk about money also because I came from, you know, my family were cigarette peddlers in Eastern Europe. Like, you know, I don't come from, I, I don't have a great, I don't have a great story of like, here, I came from Connecticut. Like, no one was coming from Connecticut. Trust me, this is a better story. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I'm, you know, I'm I'm living this story. And I, you know, I've thought about it a lot. Like, was it that I was female? I mean, I, I had a very powerful agent and then I was with ICM. You know, I transferred to a very large agency. 
it was really, really, it was a very different time. I don't know. I don't know. So it's let me, so awkward. I love it. No, I'm, I'm happy to give you a little bit of context because believe me, it's, it's taken a lot of thought <laughs> to put it in perspective so that you're not upset about certain things. And I never would have even guessed that, first of all, that you never made six figures playing Blossom. That's just unfathomable to me and, and highway robbery. But I, I, I think it's more reflective of the times than anything that you Correct. need to re, that you need to regret. Right. Um, you know, it's I think Wilt Chamberlain in his entire career, entire career made two point five million dollars. OK, so put that in perspective. I mean, let's talk it's, about it's Scottie about Pippen now. Can we talk yeah. about Scottie Pippen? <laughs> I wept that episode of last day. I wept for Scottie Pippen. The injustice. Right? The injustice. So, right. So. Um, when you look back on it though, just consider yourself a trailblazer and, and also understand that people get paid in our town based on the power of their representation and how much that piece of talent factors into a larger package that pays a lot more people. Correct. And you know what, now that we're allowed to talk about it. There is systemic racism in this country and it's in every single field. There is systemic sexism in every, in this, in every single field. Like, it's like, I feel like that's also part of what like the most powerful part of 2020 has been. It has been the ability to speak out loud and say that we used to have to whisper it. Remember we used to whisper cancer and now you can talk about it. We used to be like, can you believe there's systemic racism? And we all have to live in this world that is so unjust and wrong. And now it's like, guess what people Everything's not okay. Nothing's okay. It's not okay for black people. It's not okay for brown people. It's not okay for women or LGBTQ people and lots of other people. Listen, I could do a whole season of television about my time as a black teen at the William Morris Agency. Oh, jeez. These clowns, okay, (laughs) again, that's why you said you went over to friggin' ICM and they didn't get you a raise because- (laughs) They, all they cared about was the money that they got from packaging. So no. the fact that you you were a you were essentially a pound of flesh to control in a time sure. slot. Yeah, we control the star of that time slot. Right. If you if if you want to give her some extra money, that's fine. If you don't, we can control her and we can temper her. You see what I'm saying? We were just pieces on a chessboard. Well, well, look, that's what we are. I mean. That's what we are. We, we I mean, they move us around. Someone said to me yesterday, I was being interviewed for something like, what's the biggest lesson you learned from Hollywood? I said that I'm replaceable. I'm disposable. Ooh. I'm disposable and I'm replaceable. And the only person that I'm not disposable or replaceable to is my kids, you know, my lover and God. Like, that's it. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. You dropping gems. You dropping gems. <laughs> Listen, I worked. I worked for Tom Miller. OK, so as as. This is funny. I'm going to share a contract negotiation that took place for me. All right. So my, my producers were Tom Miller and Bob Boyette mm-hmm. and they did happy days. It is uh, step-by-step. They did uh, uh, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy. I mean, just over just 2000 episodes of television. It's ridiculous. They're legends and I will always respect them. But Tom Miller was this little bespeckled man. <laughs> and, um, and he talked like this. <laughs> and he was the and he was the king of, of family television. He's like, oh, I just love your face. He's got a great face. He's got a great face for television. And that's the way Tom Miller would talk. And and so we got into a contentious negotiation. And Tom Miller famously marched onto the set of Valerie and fired Valerie Harper. Aye. That is his big claim to fame on an individual level. And the show became The Hogan Family. And Jason Bateman carried that show, as I felt comedically. Right. Uh, all the, you know, Danny Ponce, some of these other names or whatever, oh. carried that show. Another, you had a crush on Danny, didn't you? Another one, right? That's right, Danny is awesome. <laughs> right? And so, but that was originally Valerie Harper's show. So when we got into this negotiation, young black teen in the 90s, did you want this bespeckled man to come right. down and say, now, if you're not happy here. Sure. So you only pushed it so far when that's it came a, I mean, to and that's, yep. those negotiate. He had the fear of death in all of us. As a matter of fact, I guess Reginald Vell Johnson, who played Carl Winslow, you know, he was having some issues with me being on the show. And, um, and he had some famous meeting that I will never know the details of with Tom Miller and Bob Boyette. 
And all I know is Kelly Williams, it must have trickled back to her mother or whatever, because you know you always have to have the moms that are doing the chit-chat on a set. And uh, anytime Reggie would get out of control on the set, you know, he was because Reggie's a fiery Leo, Kelly would even tease him and she would go, now you know Reggie, if you're not happy here. No. <laughs> and that just and that just became a running gag between all of us. Chill out, Negro. You'll get fired. Chill out. Chill out. That's terrible. what it was. That's terrible. <laughs> Listen, we worked in the era of power producers. Our producers actually had real power. Oh, sure. No, they were they I mean, were the t- gods of the that. industry. You're, Chuck Lorre. Your, your producer, yeah, your producers were so Chuck powerful. Let me speak to that. Yeah, I mean, it's there's not a lot that I mean. I I have to hold my tongue and. God willing, you and I will get another opportunity to talk um, about, yeah, a lot of a lot of these kinds of politics. And the fact is, you know, I'm contracted by Warner Brothers now, and I'm I'm very 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 grateful to have a contract. Um, you know, like in the old days where they kind of like right. they have you and they build stuff and yeah. you know have a production. And Warner company Brothers there. is great; they're the big boys. But, yeah, but right, but that's the thing. Like, it's still another it's another time in our industry that is shifting now, you know, and it's really like you and I were part of that era in the thick of it. And now we're kind of at the end of it. And part of that is just really the age that people are. And, you know, again, not to get political, but like my hope was always that like the racist people that my parents protested against in the sixties would have been all died out by now. And we would have no more racism, you know, like that was my, my dream as a child. Um, but you know, certain things do take longer, you know, um, and I think our industry does have a lot of remnants of that. And also, and, and I don't know, you know, how you feel about this, but people also don't realize that in the eighties and nineties, being a sitcom star also, it was not like the highest position in the industry. It was no. seen, it was seen as like, oh, you're on a family sitcom. That's nice. Go to college. Go, go grow up a little bit so that we forget that you were on a sitcom. Like the days of like movie actors wanting cameos on television shows, that didn't exist then. It was like, oh, that's nice for you. And yes, we made money, we got Nikes, all those things. But when we finished, when you finished Family, when I finished Blossom, it wasn't like, all right, Cohen brothers want you. All right, let's put you in a feature. Like it was a little, it still is a little complicated. And like, I've tried to break out of sitcom land. They don't really want me to break out. They keep putting me in sitcom. And it's like, you know what? If you want me to live in this tiny little box, I'm gonna live in that box. And then I'm gonna at one point retire and try and figure out why we don't have mental health for this whole country. And that's gonna be my passion project in my life. (laughs) Listen, listen, I I love that you're willing to discuss what happens to you, star or not, when your show goes off the air and- (laughs) You are you are literally fed back to the wolves of yep. of ca- of casting waiting rooms. Oh, the casting directors are younger than we are. By the time we start auditioning again, <laughs> they're like, "I'm sorry, who are you? What were you on? I don't remember. I wasn't born. I don't know. Like, can can you read that I again read, with feeling? Me, what is your lowest casting moment? Oh gosh, uh, I was called in to play Fat Girl Number Two on something that was literally. <laughs> This was after I had just had my second child. I didn't think I was fat. Um, you know, sure, I'm a I'm a curvy six eight, but I don't consider myself like. But by industry standards, that's like, oh, she's the fat secretary. And also, like, I don't yeah. mind being a juicy size woman. Um, you know, as Eliza Schlesinger, the comedian, says, like, white women are the only women who have a problem with like having thighs. Like every other group of women has figured out like. There's more of me to love. Deal with it or don't, you know? But like oh for gosh. us, it's like, oh my God. But yeah, I was, I was like, I think like fat woman number two. And um, I mean, like I've had people ask if I like I'm wearing padding because I can't really be that big. Oh my gosh. You you are you are so much women, funnier off for, camera. <laughs> thank you. But women for women, it's like a whole other ball of wax trying to get back into the industry. I literally was told this by my manager. The goal is to look as young, skinny, and sexy as possible, no matter what the role. I'm like, but what if it says she's a frumpy homeless person? Young, skinny, sexy. Hmm. <laughs> Talk about objectification. I'm the, ho- I'm the hottest homeless person ever. 
Yo, I'm sorry. Fat girl number two, though. Baby, fat girl number two. And with all due respect to curvy, big, delicious, fabulous women, I was the thinnest woman at the audition by like 100 pounds. Listen, listen. Nobody understands what it feels like to sit in on an audition. Well, in the audition waiting room, because the audition waiting room alone or hallway or whatever chairs they've set That'll up for you to wait. That'll break your spirit. Break your spirit. Listen, if you don't know how to manage that shit, it will just crush your soul. And you're sitting there with sometimes people who have no credits. Their yep. IMDb is as thin as paper. <laughs> and they will look at you and just say, they got you here, too. And it's like, man, I used to watch you all the time. Yeah, I'm going to step outside and work on my lines. <laughs> oh, no, I get the my mother loved watching you on TV. I don't know who you are, but my mom says she loves you. You're my, oh my grandma's God. favorite person. Thank you. I feel like your grandma right now. Listen, let me tell you how William Morris did me with their wonderful representation. Um, I went to audition for the Mod Squad. And it was a movie that I'm happy I didn't get. But, um, I, you know, I was working on my stuff. When I arrived, the casting director was locking the door and leaving for the day. Have a better one. Hey, and listen, I had a sports car. I had money in my pocket. I thought you couldn't be treated this way. And I'm like, and I'm ready for my shit. Hold on. I'm ready for my shit. And she looks at me, I'm pal. Like, I said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here to audition. But she's like, oh, yeah, I'm not feeling well. I'm, we're just uh, no. I'm, I'm closing up early for the day. And I'm like, so I was scheduled, though, right? I just want, I don't want to yell at my agents or anything. She's like, oh, no, you were, but I called them and I'm so sorry they didn't they weren't no. able to reach you, but I'm just, okay, I'm just not That's feeling sad. well for the day. And <laughs> basically, I wasn't really considering your black ass anyway. So, you know, take okay. it easy. So here's, I do have another one that, that that's pretty bad. I go to this audition and it was, and, and also like, I mean, zero disrespect to struggling actors, to people who are trying to make it like, I totally get how hard that is. I'm not saying that I won't audition. I go to this address on Coenga. You probably know what I'm talking about. It's like on oh, Coenga near, near Santa Monica. And I pull up. And it's like, you pay by the seven minutes. And I'm like, okay, well, that's weird. I'm like, I don't even, do I have quarters? Okay, so I put the quarters in. So I open the door and it is what I come to find out is an, it's an audition factory where it is an empty stage that has rooms you can rent. So casting services will rent a room. You oh. all sit in a gigantic waiting room and there's like 10 different casting offices on the perimeter of this stage and you have to find and I'm like I've never been to one I don't even know what it is I'm like who are all these people you have to like sign in with a computer thing they had no idea who I was or who I was there to audition for and I was like I was told to come here my appointments at whatever time it was I had to like call my agent I'm like they don't know why I'm here and there's like 10 different screens and she was like I am so sorry you can turn around and go home I was like, but I'm happy to audition. I just don't know who I'm supposed to speak to. She's like, no, 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 please just go home, turn around, go home. So I only wasted 25 cents for those seven minutes. But they, it was one of these giant factors, which I don't mind. Go it's just like, no one knew what I was. She's like, I'm sorry, we don't have your name. You cannot audition today. It was the... And you knew your lines. You knew your dad. <laughs> I was ready. I was so ready. You knew your shit. That's the worst part about it. That's the word. That's what I've had to do in my brain to even accept auditioning. I'm like, I'm not here to audition for you. I'm here to prove to myself on any given day I can act. Right. So if everybody will just pay me the courtesy of letting me get through this. Right. Do you validate? <laughs> do you validate? You don't? Cool. Just say when and let's get started. Oh, like that's <laughs> so funny. Um, um, I should I should say that I am supposed to do another interview at 12. I know that okay. Heather's listening in. So I don't know if you want to wrap up. Heather can also give them a little yeah. heads up if you need a little more time. Uh, listen, it's, it's totally up to you, but I, this mean, is so I think much we fun. have enough anyway. I, I'm, so I may fun. end up circling back to people. I'm telling you, Maya, when I oh, said we I wanted more, to do this We have show. more to talk about. We had to talk about those, those teen beat weekends we would go on where they would take oh, us okay. all... They would take us all horseback riding. And Danica McKellar was so mean to me. And I've, she's a very nice person. But she was like the queen bee. And like she was untouchable. And I felt so, I felt like a troll every time I was around her. I felt so embarrassed. She's so nice now. But back then I was like, she hates me. She hates me. 
<laughs> Yo, there's okay. so many things check to talk this, about. Check this out. I'm not even lying. I would. Li- I'm asking you on the show so that you can't back out. I want to do a part two with you. I would love to do a part two. Okay. I would Thank love you. it. So I can tell you all the terrible jokes I made to all the NBA stars that I spend time with. We are going to wrap this up. And I am announcing right now that my NBA is going to be my first. I will part do two it. I will because do it. I realize there's just a chemistry sometimes between people where I realize she's got a lot more to unlock. I think this was our first date. What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, right? This was palpable. <laughs> I'm sending you flowers after this, baby. <laughs> you made me Send blush. me Jordans. Send me Jordans. <laughs> Okay, Jordan's and flowers. <laughs> I got, you know, I got, uh, and I also have to make a little correct correction that, that you're going to laugh at. You said Jonathan Galecki, and my mind said Jonathan Lipnicki. No, Johnny Galecki, like from Big Bang right. Theory, who was I, on Roseanne. I, I know, I know, I know. I just, I said that, and so I'm saying that for the edit that it was oh, in my mind. Just said absolutely. Jonathan Lipnicki, like that. No, but Johnny we're talking Galecki. about the great. Johnny Galecki. Okay. Correct. The great hey. Johnny Galecki. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. I will see you again soon. You see are you so for part awesome two. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. <laughs>